Stokes. Normally, we are the hosts of Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men, but on this, the fourth week, we host Hawk Talk, where we talk hawks, only on ZZ105. So this is yet another of the episodes we're doing when we would normally have a skip week, but because times are very, very strange right now, we want to make sure we put something out there into the void to connect with everyone. Also, just in case anyone is judging this book by its cover, you should know that we don't actually talk about hawks on Hawk Talk. We just call it that because uh, it came up a while ago and I got really enamored with the idea of a radio show that was just like car talk, but for hawks. Exactly. Like by and for hawks. Uh, this no, is also, you know, you know the, the brothers on car talk aren't cars. Have you ever seen them? Every night they visit me and give me terrible, terrible advice and instructions. Oh, so they're not cars, but they're like doom ghosts? I think at least one of them might be dead, so possibly. I don't actually know. I just really like the idea of, of like unholy visitations by the car talk guys. That's that's legit, I suppose. Uh, but anyway, point is, this is unedited. Uh, it is unproduced. It is unplanned for the most part. So if this is your first time listening to the show, like, please pick a different episode. Actually, we're not even talking. Uh, no, no, it's just randomly generated. We're just neural networks. No, you're imagining all of this. Oh. Oh, geez, surreal. Uh, anyway, so what are we talking about this time? Well, so the whole point of these episodes is to have something that's fairly chill and one-off. Because um, this was just going to be a skip week. The original plan was that we'd do three weeks on, one week off, and then um, the world kind of imploded and a bunch of people asked if we could just put something there to keep up the regular pattern and we said sure but it has to be something that we don't have to actually put much thought into so this week in that spirit we actually asked folks on twitter to come up with suggestions for topics and um I, we wrote them all down and i think we're just going to sort of bounce around them until we stop uh yeah so uh, i believe we said we were going to open up with somebody who requested to hear about whether we'd seen any good birds lately yes um, I should also say we are we are not um, attributing these because everyone has wildly different Twitter display names and handles, and I'm still not quite sure of the etiquette there, and also I'm tired. Um, but yes, I have seen two really excellent birds lately. I mean, I've seen a lot of birds, but two of them are, are the best of the birds I've seen. So for those of you not aware, my wife and I are currently staying with my in-laws who live in rural Connecticut. Um, and when I say rural, I mean like farm country. And while they don't live on the farm, they do live, they live in an old barn that's been refitted into a really magical uh, Studio Ghibli forest house, basically, with a huge yard that has a huge garden and also where they keep chickens on and off um, for the eggs and kind of as pets. They have an arrangement with um, local, a local now, I guess, young adult who used to be a local teenager who raised chickens for fun, um, who was, was part of the family that owns the local, local farm supplier and farmer's market, where basically he would sort of lend them chickens for like eight months out of the year because they don't really have a winter chicken set up. Um, so they they hadn't had them for a while, but they have they have a whole setup for them and they're very, very experienced with keeping them. So I and I'm qualifying all of this because there are a lot of people who under current circumstances went, ooh, backyard chickens could be fun with no idea of what they were getting into. And this is this is not that situation. Right. That's that's a good disclaimer. That's important. So the chickens came a couple weeks ago and I was, I, I'm, T and I are both working full-time remotely right now, um, but I just need to be somewhere with Wi-Fi. The chickens came, these two chickens, and 
they were they were in a cage and they had to hang out in the driveway for a fairly long time because their space wasn't quite ready. And I hung out in the driveway with them and worked and sang them songs, which they seemed to like. And um, what songs do they like best? Um, so they've they've got pretty varied taste, but the first the first time they were both they were both a little bit stressed out and tired, and one of them fell asleep while I was singing them summertime, which was pretty cute. Aww. They are so they're really good chickens. We named them Rosencrantz and Guildenstern because they are inseparable, and at first none of us could tell them apart. Yeah. They're they're pullets, so or they're actually no, they're they're kind of they're somewhere between pullet and like full grown chickens. They're laying eggs, but they're like they they started laying eggs about a week ago. Um, they're they're basically t- chicken teenagers. Hmm. And I can tell them apart now. Um, my mother-in-law can tell them apart. I'm not sure if anyone else can tell them apart yet. They have very, very subtly different concentrations of white in their markings. Um, but they have ended up the friendliest chickens ever. So chickens tend to be, chickens are very social, but they don't tend to be cuddly with people. Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are cuddly. They will eat out of my hands. They are really talkative. Occasionally, one of them will come up and just sort of nestle at me. Um, Rosencrantz especially, but both of them really, really love dust baths. And when they are taking dust baths, they will try to get me involved. And I will I will occasionally just sort of walk my hands over and, and stir up dust with them. But they will also they also really like being scratched and have me having me like scratch under their wings when they're taking dust baths. And they're really good. They're really cute. They love tomatoes. Um, yeah, they're just they're really good chickens. I I love them so much. I've never really spent time with chickens and I'm just utterly enchanted by them. They're completely weird. They're they're little dinosaurs. They're kind of dumb, but they're really competent in very specific, very limited ways. Um they're 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 super soft. They're basically like 90% floof. And and they yeah, I I really like them and they have they have funny chicken underbites, which is how they drink water with while having beaks which I was not aware of until I started hanging out with them up close. I, I never knew that. Yeah. They sound like excellent quarantine buddies. They're so good. They're Well, they're outdoors, which is also really, really nice. There's also a cat here um, who is is also very, very she, – she's special. She is the princess of cats and knows it. So mm-hmm. that's a whole other thing. But Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are great. Oh, and they're also they – are, they are also extremely, extremely outdoor-oriented chickens. Like, they, they're okay with being in their coop, and they sleep in their coop, obviously. Chickens are very, very consistent about that. But they really just want to explore. That is their favorite thing. They will turn down treats for in favor of exploring. Fortunately, they'll also allow themselves to be herded and, like, picked up, which is good because otherwise we would absolutely never be able to get them away. But... <laughs> Yeah, they're really good chickens. I will make I will make a whole visual companion to this that's just pictures of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern because I have taken so very many, um, including some very, very close-ups because both of them really, really love what I think is the flash on my, my iPhone. Um, it's just a little kind of bright iridescent bit below the lens, and they will come up and gently peck it and greet it. Oh, man, that seems like a potentially uh, expensive habit that they have, but as long as they're gentle about it. They're really gentle about it, and honestly, in terms of relative value, I would definitely place close friendship with chickens who do entertaining things above being able to take photographs with a flash with my telephone. <laughs> Priorities. Um, yeah, so we actually have some kind of awesome birds over here. So I've uh, set up shop in my dining room uh, with all of my various computers and monitors and stuff for my IT job. And uh, that's right up against our sliding glass door in the back of the house, which is right up against our back porch. And a couple of robins decided that they wanted to build a nest, like, up near the top corner of that, under the sort of roof awning thing. 
And so I'll occasionally glance up and there will just be this robin sitting in the nest, stock still, glaring balefully at me. Or possibly blankly, it's hard to tell. Blank and baleful look pretty similar for birds because they're weird alien dinosaurs, like you said. Uh, but yes, we uh, we have named this bird Ethel. Um, my fiancé spells that the normal way, E-T-H-E-L. I like to spell it E-T-H-Y-L because it implies that she's, you know— uh, a, a chemical like uh, rubbing is, is ethyl rubbing alcohol i can never remember which alcohol ethyl is but uh yeah so they will soon have uh tiny babies making horrible sounds i i suspect um occasionally the neighborhood cat bear who is fluffy and magnificent will come by he has not noticed them yet which is good because he can probably jump about 35 feet in the air and unhinge his jaw and like swallow entire humans he's a fierce hunter so we're, we're keeping our fingers crossed for that oh man we also have outdoor neighborhood cats who've been showing up. We don't really know any of them, but Ginny hates them. She she is not cool with other cats existing in general. She is she is very much again, she's she's the princess and she's very much into being the only cat in the universe. And so her main response when she sees these other cats is to just yell at the top of her little cat lungs, which is really loud. Uh, the first couple times she did this, we assumed that something had gotten in or she'd gotten out or there were cats fighting. But no, it was just her sitting on a shelf yelling. Sitting on a shelf yelling. That's uh, that's her biography name or autobiography. I don't know. It depends on how self-aware she is, I guess. Yeah, she's got this specific shelf um, in, the, in the... Is it the yelling shelf? It is, um, but it's also just the sitting and watching shelf. It's right by where the other cats hang out. It's the bottom shelf of a three-tier metal shelf that um, my mother-in-law has has a lot of a lot of plant starts on. Um, but the bottom is is just Ginny's because anytime that other things were on that, she would displace them. Oh, she also occasionally um, she also occasionally digs up plants when she's really pissed off because we have allowed other cats to exist and clearly must be punished for it. <laughs> And that is the method of punishment. She's real cute, though. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, yes, yeah, so, okay, birds, um, our, our dinosaurs are weird and are kind of great sometimes. Um, what Ooh, we talk someone, about... wanted to, someone wanted to know our favorite dinosaurs. We can do that real fast. Oh, I, I think you're going to have way more answers there than me because you know a lot more about dinosaurs than I do. But I have a consistent favorite. What's your favorite? And that's, I, I like the Parasaurolophus because they look perpetually intensely baffled wait which ones are those are they do they have like some big head thing am i remembering the right one yeah they have like the big head thing that might have been used to produce noise and they've got kind of duck faces and they they just always look way out of their depth if i recall correctly you gave me a toy parasaurolophus uh you gave me a toy one of those many years ago and i still have it on my dresser and it stares at me when i get out socks and stuff it's possible yeah. Uh, well, whether it's from you or from somebody else, it's it's pretty great, and I suspect you would approve. And yes, dorky duck face. It's pretty great. Well, what about you? Do you have a favorite? Yeah. Uh, well, what about you? Do you have a favorite dinosaur? Uh, so when I was a kid, um, so I feel like you have your initial favorite, and then you have your favorite, uh, from when within any category. Once you start thinking about it more, once you get older. Right. My favorite as a little kid was definitely Compsognathuses. I was one for Halloween once. I've seen pictures. Pretty adorable. Uh, so when when I was a favorite, uh, when I was a favorite, I, see this is why we have editors. When I was a child, who hopefully was was like my parents' favorite. I don't know. I was the older child, so that wouldn't be weird for at least to, for me to be the favorite for the first three years. Point being, my initial favorite dinosaur was the Triceratops because it had three goddamn horns and it looked awesome, and I kind of wanted to be one. I think. That's and, a reasonable uh, goal. 
Yeah. Uh, the first thing I ever wanted to be profession-wise was a spaceman. Not an astronaut, mind you, specifically a spaceman, which was kind of the same thing, but I think more lasers were involved. Uh, I was way too prosaic a kid, and I really regret that I only identified like the relative merits of wanting to be things like a badger once I was too old to really mean it. Once you were too old to actually become a badger, like there's this yeah. there's this brief uh, window of neuroplasticity where you can just will yourself into being a badger or like a dump truck or whatever. Yeah, I don't actually want to be a badger. I do deeply respect how utterly ludicrous they are, though. I'm talking about North American badgers. British badgers are very, very civilized. North American badgers, on the other hand, will drag off an entire cow carcass um, because they are just unstoppable little monsters and they're great. Do you remember that time that our housemate's cat uh, dragged our comforter up an entire set of carpeted stairs with her mouth? Oh, uh, Trinket, who I assume is just harrowing hell as we speak. Oh, yeah. It's kind of like um, Azazel and Amazing X-Men just being like a like a demon air pirate in hell. No, I assume she's just taken over by now. Oh, that could be. Like, she won the Hell on Earth War on X-Factor. Um, anyway, point being, my favorite dinosaur, once I started thinking it through more, was the Ankylosaurus, because it just looked like it really meant business, and I love the fact that it just had a mace for a tail. Or would that be a flail? Whatever it had. Oh, man, that's that's good. That's also also the, the source dinosaur of one of my favorite kaiju, so. Which one? Um... Man, I'm I'm blanking on his name right now, but he's he he lives on Monster Island with Godzilla, and he just wants to wrestle all the time. Like that's his entire personality. He's just this angry, weird-looking rubber suit Ankylosaurus, and he just tackles shit. I mean, respect. You know, you 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 do what you love. You never work a day in your life. Um, yeah. So that's that's dinosaurs. Uh, what what should we talk about next? We have so many items here. We have like this giant list, and there's no possible way we'll get through it all. Well, let's see. You know, I, I keep on going back to birds and from birds to the fact that you are your account isn't new, but you are newly engaging with Twitter because I'm a bird. Well, it's got the bird logo. Oh, that's true. It does. Yeah, I, I finally gave in and I don't know how much I'm actually going to use it because I am like the most technophobic IT worker in the world in a lot of ways. I think it's just that like when I'm not actually working, I don't really want to deal with technology very much. Uh, but yes, I am on Twitter with a perhaps poorly chosen uh, Twitter handle because it's hard to spell if you're not me. That is Gallagher Brew, you know, the bridge that leads into hell that is the scene of my favorite Thor uh, scene of all time from Walter Simonson's run. Anyway, that's G-J-A-L-L-B-R-U. Uh, we'll link directly to that from the podcast account in the bio. I think it already links to mine now that yours exists. We'll we'll get get a link to it there, and you can just click over instead of having to type the whole thing, thing in. Yes, that too. Although I will say, if you can't spell that by heart, it's because you haven't read Walter Simonson's Thor run enough, and therefore that is a project for you if you have the means to do so. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I just uh, it, it had always been like, hey, it's at not lasers and miles. And I'm like, I, I at least want people to be able to tag me. I feel left out. So now I have a Twitter account and people can tag me and maybe I'll use it for other stuff. I tag you frequently. I send you upsetting owls, but you never see them because you never use Twitter. Well, well, now I do. You told me how to set up TweetDeck, although it's still kind of confusing. You'll get the hang of it. It's also a good way to not get swamped because you can do things like set up a feed that's just your replies or just a few accounts, even if you're following more of them. Oh, okay. Uh, right yeah. now, I'm not sure that I'm actually following anyone. I'll uh, get the hang of it. I can. Well, do you want to? Do you want to maybe go over some of the how to use Twitter stuff? Because I think I've been on it for like 
70 years now. It feels like about 70 years. Okay, I did have some questions. So what's the protocol for duels on Twitter? Like, if uh, is it to the death or to the blood or to the pain or what? Okay, is it a duel of honor or is it, it just sort of for the hell of it? I mean, knowing me, I, I'm kind of non-confrontational, so I feel like I'd be more likely to do a for the hell of it duel than, like, one with actual principles behind it. Okay, are you a fairly prominent or notable neocon and or Nazi? God, I hope not. Okay, unfortunately, in that case, that means that you may actually be accountable to Twitter support. Oh, oh, okay. So you got to be careful about that. Um, so, so you're you're gonna want to you're gonna want to probably, um, use the default dueling weaponry of Twitter. Because again, you know, you got to use platform specific weapons, and you should do fine with this. You've played multiple Monkey Island games, so generally, if you're challenging something on Twitter or challenging someone on Twitter, the challenger initiates the duel. The challenged gets to choose the weapon. The primary ones are rap battle. Rhyming contest or over explanation of obvious concepts. Again, gender is going to play into this or red gender is going to play into this to some extent. You can also always subvert the duel by making it into a rap battle, regardless what the other person is attempting. Ah, I like this plan. Although I do feel like I'm just going to keep falling back to how appropriate you fight like a cow no matter what I do. Okay, tangent, because why the fuck not? There are no rules, no gods, no masters to these Hawk Talk episodes. Um, so speaking of LucasArts adventure games, there's my segue. Um, I just played through Grim Fandango again. Jay, do you remember that oh, one? Shit, yes, I do. Not only do I remember that, but I remember you playing through that right after getting your wisdom teeth out. So being extremely high and extremely excited about specific details. Oh, I really was. Those painkillers were intense. Uh, but yeah, so if you're not familiar, listeners, um, it is a like old point-and-click style adventure game, although it was one of the later ones before the genre kind of like shut down around the turn of the century. So weird to say turn of the century for that. Um, but yeah, you played a uh, travel agent in the Mexican land of the dead, and it was like this sort of noir mystery jazz era mexican folklore like epic journey it's freaking great totally holds up especially the remastered version where you don't have to use the resident evil style tank controls i don't think point and click adventure games have died i think they've just largely migrated to handheld and and phone platforms well they they have now but for a long time like they just weren't really a genre that was out there very much i mean they were never totally gone but they were huge in the 90s and then just suddenly weren't anymore and they're they're coming back uh of course like they're getting bigger and bigger in fact the same team that did grim fandango did one called broken age a few years back that was great but uh yeah grim fandango still lovely still wonderful soundtrack still wonderful characters love it love it love it well, that, that actually segues nicely. Someone asked us about video game nostalgia, Nosta- um, nostalgic video games, just just nostalgia video games. This is what we were given. And I'm not sure if they mean video games. We're nostalgic about video games that are themselves nostalgic or what. So I think we can take this in any any direction we really want to. Okay, sure, totally. Um, I don't want to monopolize this one because I know like video games are, are a major hobby for me and they're a more minor one for you. No, no, monopolize away. Oh, okay. So... I grew up on uh, during the Super Nintendo era. Like I was, I was around and I was playing games a little bit during the NES 8-bit era, but I didn't have a console, so I only played at friends' houses and stuff. It wasn't until the Super Nintendo era that I was able to get my hands on a console. And the game that really got me into video games, period, was Final Fantasy IV, which in America was originally called Final Fantasy II. 
it just it blew my goddamn mind. Like the the depth of characters, just the attention to detail and visuals and sound, the fact that you could still tell a compelling story even when the translation was extremely extremely iffy. Uh, that's what got me started, and I mean, I'm I'm still loving that stuff. Like, quarantine has been nostalgia times in so many ways. Like, I'm watching a bunch of Star Wars television shows. I'm play- I'm replaying Final Fantasy games. Um, I just finally finished twelve, and I'm I'm replaying six with uh, my fiance Anna because she's never seen it. Um, so yeah, that was that was my jam. But God, I I've gone all over the place. I mean, I love Silent Hill. Uh, that's probably my favorite franchise at this point. I have a tattoo from Mass Effect. Uh, Psychonauts is something I think about uh, every hour on the hour. Um, I don't know, like Jay, what, what were your old favorites from when you were when you were gaming more, just in general? I'm distinguishing between those and ones about which I feel active nostalgia, because there are a lot of games that I really enjoyed that I might enjoy revisiting. Um, it had a lot of favorites, but the game that I think of when I think of nostalgia is one that I can't play anymore, that I can't get access to anymore. Um, and it was a game that I played, I think, in high school and some in college. And it was it was one of the rare Mac native games. Um, was was from Am- Ambrosia Software. It was called Harry the Handsome Executive. And the concept of this game yes. was that you were you were an executive named Harry, and you scooted around your office in a rolly chair. You could not get out of the rolly chair. That was important. Um, and and level quests involved things like shred all of the employee feedback documents, find a window, and related stuff. And you 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 ran on on donuts and coffee that you could pick up and find. And the main has the hazards were were people throwing darts, people throwing out AOL discs, which should date this game rather precisely if you were alive in that era. <laughs> and um, occasionally mail trucks. And it was it was just it was ludicrously fun. Yeah, it totally was. I remember that. I remember that was one of the games that in our computer applications class in middle school, um, or maybe it was high school by that point, by the time that was out. But uh, yeah, one of those games that just meant I barely got any work done because I would just play that as whenever the teacher wasn't looking. That was amazing. That Worms, which was the first like really, really, really multiplayer game, <laughs> um, locally multiplayer, but but playing playing Worms in... Oh, in Mr. Krause's classroom, maybe in um, in one of the English classrooms with like you and other folks. Oh, I think is, you might be is, is my my weirdly my weirdly like intense high school game memory. <laughs> yeah, totally. There was that, and there was um Scorched Earth, which was kind of like Worms that we also played. I did. Um, oh, there were there were tanks and like anyway. Uh, yeah, yeah. They're still making Worms like these days. Uh, Team Seventeen is still making those games, and they're they're still pretty great from what I uh, from what I can tell. I haven't played one of the re- any of the recent ones. Oh, there are so many old like old bad computer games that I really loved that were really really fun that are like that are a very specific type of nostalgia for me. And there are some that are are coming back. Like I played so much. You don't know Jack in high school. Oh yeah, now they're doing the Jackbox, Jackbox party pack. Yeah. Yeah, yeah which some is, of those are great. They're really fun. So so there's all of that. Um, I mean, that's about what I've got as far as nostalgia and video games. I mean, I do remember you playing Final Fantasy VIII back in the day, and I was so excited that you were playing like my favorite series at the time. Yeah, that was what that was the game that that got me to finally crack and get into console gaming, and it was a lot of fun. And I played a bunch of cool console games, and like there, I mean, definitely, I definitely still have some nostalgia for those but not the degree of intensity that I have for stuff like Harry the Handsome Executive. 
that's that's reasonable i suppose yeah yeah i could go on for far far too long but then it would just be miles explains video games and then the the j and is i feel like a big part of the appeal of the show so maybe we can go back we could go back and forth we can have we could have a we could have a couple episodes where where you know one of us just kind of interviews the other about a specifically you know unilateral passion who knows? I mean, how long will we be doing these Hawk Talks? How long will this COVID thing be going on? Who can say? Yeah, right. Um, but no, I, I figure it's it's Hawk Talk. It's allowed to be whatever we want it to be. At some point, we can just do 45 minutes of like high-pitched screeching. I feel like we'd really be testing the uh, loyalty of our listeners <laughs> past a certain point. Well, I didn't say we would, but we could. The That's option true. exists, is my point. Power. Um, okay, let's let's move on to another thing. So we just talked about uh, nostalgic video games for mm-hmm. a bit. Uh, what's next? Well, thinking about f- high school and nostalgia and where it was, someone asked, is Florida as nuts as people say and why? Right. So we both uh, – I, I grew up entirely in Florida, and you were there uh, not you know, at the beginning of your life but for a great deal of your childhood and adolescence. Yeah, I moved there just before I turned seven. Yeah, so we we both spent a long time. Now, I feel like I should qualify by saying we weren't in, like, Florida, man. Florida, we were in... Was it? I mean... All of Florida is Florida, man, Florida. So I've actually been thinking a lot about this, and I've been thinking a lot about this for a a long time because I write a a lot of stuff about Florida and a lot of fiction that's about, about that, and also just because it's a weird space and our parents still live there, and it's still really uniquely hellish. Um... Part of the issue with Florida is that it's like four or five different states culturally. It's got a lot of whole, whole lot of intense class division. Some of that is along geographic lines. Some of it isn't. Um, And I think some of some of Florida's reputation is the result of confirmation bias. So people think of Florida as, you know, the place with Florida man. People do horrible, ridiculous shit everywhere. But it's much more likely to hit national news if it happens in Florida just because they've already got that category to slot it into. Well, and from what I've read, I haven't confirmed this, but from what I've read, the way laws work in Florida, they have to, like, publicize criminal stuff more than other states do. And so you just hear more about the weird stuff. Well, most most newspapers have have police blotters, but it's. So the other thing about Florida and something that I think is really important to understand about Florida is that living in Florida as an actual person means existing in a state of continual cognitive dissonance because Florida is a state that is designed to feel like a playground for people who don't live there and aren't deeply invested in it, or at least don't live there year round. And if you look at its policies and the stuff coming out of COVID, that's largely built on that. Like Florida's economy is really dependent on tourists. It's really dependent on snowbirds. And it's again, really dependent on people coming there who treat it like a playground. So a lot of Florida man stories are bypro- are basically what happens when locals who aren't super rich do the shit that super rich tourists do and get away with. Ah, okay, okay. Yeah, so a huge amount of of the the reporting of and general appearance of of Florida man stuff is classism. Like you don't hear about this when spring break kids from New England do it. And if you assume that spring break kids from New England don't, then you clearly haven't spent a lot of time in Florida. <laughs> so there's that. Um, yeah, the experience of living somewhere 
that where where it's your space and you're an annual resident, but it centers people who treat it like a very disposable theme park does a really weird number on your head and even more so in class divides. I mean, if you look at things like average income in the Orlando area, think about the number of people who live within the shadow of or work within the shadow of Disney World and can't afford to go there. Yeah, no, that is a really clear illustration of what you're describing. So there's that. There's also the fact that Florida is essentially the Australia of the United States in that it is filled with nature that is actively doing its best to kill you. Now, in Florida, some of it will do it directly and some of it will do it by basically, you know, wet rotting you from the feet up. But, you know, there are there are handily available alligators is what I'm saying. One of my mother's biggest fears when I was little, and she had a lot, but one of her biggest fears was that I would wander into our yard, wander over to the vaguely nearby pond, and get eaten by an alligator. My mom knew someone that actually happened to. I know, yeah. Yeah, he was, um, I think by that point he wasn't exactly aware of what was happening, right? Yeah, he had fairly advanced dementia, and he wandered into a retention pond and into an alligator. So these things happen. Uh, the mosquitoes are, it's about a one-to-one ratio between, like, air molecules and mosquitoes. Cicadas, cockroaches, like, nature Nature in Florida is is fairly large and fairly after you. And a lot of it's weird, too. Like, there, there, there are a lot of armadillos in Florida, and most of them are dead. Um, some of them are undead. The point is, there, there's a lot of weird that's relatively accessible. Florida's not mostly beaches. Florida is mostly swamp. A lot of it is drained swamp on which houses were built and now they're gradually sinking. Like, it's just an incredibly ill-conceived state in a whole, whole lot of ways that, again, contribute to the level of weirdness that it's possible to achieve there with relatively low effort. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. I mean, I I think I'm glad to have had the opportunity to grow up there. And I think visiting every once in a while is, is plenty for me these days. Contributing to that in places that I feel like we should really talk about if we're talking about weird Florida stuff is that it also has absolute shit public services and mental health care. Um, Florida has no income tax and it funds its schools, last I saw, entirely via the state lottery. And in general, again, it is optimized for tourists. It is optimized for an aging population, but specifically a fairly wealthy aging population. It's not a great place to to age if you are, again, if you are not fairly wealthy. Um, and it just it's just a really, really hard and in a lot of ways awful place to live if you fall through the cracks in those systems. So the ha-ha, it's so funny, Florida man is also a byproduct of ha-ha, it's so funny. Florida has a lot of people who aren't receiving adequate mental health care or social support and services. Yeah, yeah, it's it's unfortunate. Anyway, it's an interesting state. It's got some really good stuff, but it is kind of a massive train wreck in terms of of large-scale stuff, and its governor is is absolutely awful. That said, the beaches are legitimately gorgeous, so it has that going for it. I mean, currently they're crammed with people who are spreading, you know, COVID around, but... Okay, yeah, so maybe not a good time to visit them. But, um, you know, if the world's ever normal again, uh, you could do that. 
the swamps are cool. I actually, I will, I will totally talk up um, inland Florida because it's really, really, really neat. Oh man, do you remember that time we uh, went kayaking through the mangroves and there were just tiny little crabs everywhere? I do. I I've done that a couple times since, and it's really, really cool. Um, that's a gorgeous area. Yeah. Um, I, I I'd actually say, oh, for a good window on a lot of this stuff, um, Carl Hyacin gets gets held up less than Elmore Leonard as the definitive weird Florida author. And I think that's a massive shame because Hyacin writes working class Florida in ways that Leonard, I don't think really did. Um, I would agree. He's fantastic. I would, I would probably start with tourist season and work from there. Sweet. Um, Okay. I'm going to choose a topic. What do we have that we can do next? Okay. um, This is kind of related to Florida favorite cocktails or beers so what are yours okay so i am mostly a beer drinker um i actually was not really a drinker of any sort uh until well into adulthood like i'd occasionally have a little something like a guinness or whatever um which i feel like is a lot of people's starter drink um but having moved to the pacific northwest specifically portland i have become a stereotype i love hoppy craft beers so much they're they're bitter and they're interesting and they're extremely varied especially around here and most of them have really cool names that's usually the way i choose between beers when i don't know what's what um that's something that i really miss about isolation is the pub scene out here is great uh both in terms of hangouts and just in terms of trying cool stuff uh at castle sexy dracula we actually did do a virtual beer festival recently which meant that um they shipped us like a box of 10 beers and then there were people on video from the different breweries who told us all about the things and then we drank them uh very quickly because it wasn't a very long event but it was a ton of fun so mostly that for me i i do also enjoy mezcal although it tends to be expensive and so i have very limited experience so I am more of a cocktail person than a beer person. I like both. I discovered actually after moving out of the Pacific Northwest that I actually do like IPAs. I just don't like things with so many hops that you can't taste anything else. Okay, so like more like hazies rather than uh, Northwest style? Yeah. Um, Northwest style IPAs are are their own terrible, terrible thing. Um, But I like cocktails because I like variation and I really like playing with with flavors in them. Um, I'm I am married to a former professional cocktail designer, so Ooh. we have a fairly well-stocked bar, and I live with someone who really, really, really knows their way around this stuff, which is cool. There's also a lot of, and I'm sure this stuff this exists with beer too, but there's a lot of really, really interesting um, cultural history around cocktails and around around distilling in the United States, um, which I also learned a lot about. So I really like that stuff. Um, I tend to be more of a whiskey person than anything else but i also really really like highly botanical gins oh man the kinds that uh basically feel like you're going to jungle gardens and just sort of cramming your face into the nearest exotic plant not exactly but um there are there are a lot of really neat ones um we've been we've gone to a couple local craft distilleries that have been really cool and of course i mean so here's something kind of wild and ridiculous um so clear creek is a distillery in Portland mm-hmm. and it's really good. They're best known for their fruit brandies. They also make incredibly good whiskey, which you cannot find, or at least when I was living there, you could not find anywhere in Portland, but I have consistently been able to find in New York. Huh? 
New York must have some kind of some kind of connection. Or stuff is getting exported more, or it's better known locally, so it tends to sell out faster, or 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 et cetera. But yeah, um, I like both. Again, I like cocktails because I feel like um, there's more that I can do and put together and vary. Obviously, with beer, you're largely drinking, you know, what's what's there, which again is cool. But I I like the the active um, and creative component of cocktails. I also really really like. Like learning more about cocktails has been a great way to learn more ways to make interesting non-alcoholic drinks, which I really like. One of my frustrations as an adult is that I'm not much of a soda drinker and I don't tend to like super sweet drinks, but I'm also not really very fond of being drunk or drinking a lot of alcohol. And so knowing what ingredients I can mix together and how I can play with flavors to generate really interesting, really flavorful non-alcoholic drinks has been a huge huge plus yeah that's actually something uh, anna's been really into as well i'm um, just specifically experimenting with like different alchemical combinations of bitters to create just these bizarre flavors oh man yes smoke bitters are my favorite go-to for a lot of actual cocktail cocktails but we have some dandelion bitters here that have been really really fun to add to stuff dandelion bitters that's just so Evocative. I don't know what it would actually taste like, but it seems like it would taste like spring and hope and dreams. Well, you know, you can make your own bitters too out of pretty much anything, right? You can use either high proof grain alcohol or any very, very high proof low flavor alcohol as a base, or you can use glycerin. Okay. Okay. I only know about glycerin from that Bush song from back in the 90s. I don't know anything about what it is. Um, it, it, it's a, yeah, it's stuff. It's a base for a lot of bitters. It's also used in a lot of non food products. Huh, you can okay. it's it's a component in in some uh, fondant recipes. <laughs> Maybe Bush really liked uh, making fondant. Who knows? It's possible. It's also um, you know a common ingredient in a lot of lubricant. Okay, well maybe they were into all sorts of things. So your your mileage may vary, but the point is you can make bitters. It's a lot of fun. Um, assuming Anna doesn't already know this, which I suspect she may, because she tends to go pretty in-depth into researching stuff when she gets into it. Yeah, it's really cool. It's a lot of fun to do. Fiendish. Okay, yes, bitters. Bitters experiments. I'm excited about this. Um. Okay, so that was my uh, topic choice. Uh, what do you want to pick for the next thing? Oh, gosh. Um. Oof. There are many, many things. So many things. Um, yes, thank you all on, on uh, the social medias for giving us so many ideas. We appreciate it. We're not going to be able to cover everything or not even close, but it's really awesome having such a uh, big list to choose from. Oh, someone someone asked if we can just talk about Avatar The Last Airbender. Right, and I've been, so... I've been re-watching it. Um, T's watching it for the first time. We just finished book one last night. It holds up so well. I love it so much. It's so good. Like, it's such an emotionally mature kid show. And it just, you know, deals with uh, the concept of, of trauma and connection and, like, uh, cultural bias and stuff. Like, there's so much going on there. Like, it's, in some ways, I think it's the the predecessor to Steven Universe just in regards to how much it can teach kids about what it is to be a person. Well, and in some ways it's protagonist too, because one of the things that really struck me on the second watch through um, is just how kind Aang is. Like he's just, he's a really sweet kid and he's a kid and he's, you know, callous and, and kind of myopic in the ways that 12 year olds are. 
but he's he's just a really 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 kind person really fundamentally and that's kind of his central trait and you don't see a lot of teenage boys portrayed that way in in cartoons and pop media yeah no it's it's really refreshing i agree um although again steven universe i think is in that regard also kind of a successor to it yeah no as i i i I said that specifically. I think I said that specifically. I at least thought it. I hope I said it. But anyway, yeah, it's so good. And the writing is so good. And the dialogue is so good. And so much, so much of the stuff that came after it, not even that long after, was clearly influenced by it. And here I'm thinking stuff that, that flies further. So, you know, shows like Adventure Time and just a lot of the way that dialogue was written in cartoons in the following years owes Mm -hmm. a huge amount to Avatar The Last Airbender. Totally. The other thing I found out about, and I didn't know this until someone mentioned it on Twitter, is that there there are apparently large arguments about, you know, Avatar The Last Airbender versus Legend of Korra. And I think that's ridiculous because they're such different shows. They're both amazing and they're both so much part of the same universe and creative arc. So having having watched Korra more, decent, more recently and as a massive, massive Korra fan who's now going back to Avatar The Last Airbender, like, they both add so much and yeah. I, I think they're a great example of two things that exist in the same universe and with a lot of the same audience and creative sensibilities that just complement each other beautifully. I agree, yeah. And actually, I'll throw in a plug here for the um, Avatar and Korra comics, each of which takes place respectively like after their their connected series. Those are surprisingly excellent, um, especially the Avatar one. Uh, I think it's Giru Hiru or Guru Hiru. Um, Anyway, it's it's a pair of of women who uh, operate like as sort of a a two-person artist collective that does sort of an anime style of art, and they just nail the visual style and the visual storytelling of Avatar in those comics. Like, they're real good. But yeah, it's it's just a really lovely show. It's also got some of the best villains on television and one of the absolute best redemption arcs and and some of the best sort of complexly motivated characters out there t was saying last night she she's only seen a bit of it now through all the way through season one but has has learned a lot about it by osmosis as you do if you're active in fandom and and were and and was saying that you know she cannot believe that in a world where zuko already existed and had as a precedent for a long time someone thought kylo ren was a great idea (laughs) <laughs> man i i will kind of stand up for kylo ren but then again i, I like star wars even when it doesn't deserve it um i actually haven't seen the most recent movie that's because fine. i'm having a lot of tr- like i just i just wasn't super excited about it and movies in theaters were expensive and i figure i'll watch it eventually maybe well, if you do want a Star Wars kick, and I know I, I was the one suggesting that we save mostly uh, TV and movies for a future Hawk Talk, but I will just briefly say the Clone Wars cartoon and The Mandalorian are both legitimately stellar, and I highly recommend them. I've heard only very good things about the Clone Wars cartoon, um, so that is good to know and pretty exciting to hear. We are coming up on about 50 minutes i think and this seems like a good point at which to wrap it up talking about future topics that we want to discuss thank you for listening to hawk talk available here on zz 105 next week we will be back to jay and miles explain the x-men talking i believe aston is it astonishing or amazing x-men that we're uh, talking am- amazing x-men the one by nisieza and Kubert, with uh, abyss being a weird 90s ribbon man because everybody is ribbons in the 90s for some bizarre reason 
So if you're sick of, of living in an actual dystopia and want to hear some more about an entirely fictional one, you can just check out this channel this time next week. Yes. In the meantime, uh, take care. It's a weird world right now, but we're thinking about you. Good luck with all the things, and uh, we'll we'll talk to you soon. And if you have non-X-Men related questions or topics you'd like to see us cover on an upcoming Hawk Talk, drop us a line either in the comments to this post or via Twitter at Explain the X-Men. Take care, everybody. Lots of love.